In a world where James Franco is still considered a credible actor and Mike Busey can open a place called the Sausage Castle, one podcast will rise. One podcast will take a stand. Its hosts steadfast and strengthened by snark and snobbery. This podcast is Cinema Geekly. It's time for the Cinema Geekly Podcast, episode 152. Before we get going, head on over to cinemageekly.com. Check out the archives of the Cinema Geekly Podcast and all of our other shows, some of which will be returning sooner than you think. All of the DC shows return this week. I'm marginally excited. Two shows good, (laughs) one show not so much. Um, It's Anthony Lewis along with Ben Knight this week. Just us. This is like a weird combination. I don't know. I, know. This, I don't know if this has ever happened before. Actually, it feels like we should be talking about Doctor Who, doesn't it, or Star Trek? Yeah. Well, I mean, we will talk about Star Trek a little bit. I don't think I have any. Yeah, we will. I don't think I have any Doctor Who news, but um, we'll no, definitely either. we'll definitely be talking about Star Trek. Um, okay. So the first thing I want to uh, I want to dip into this is less of a, um, a review or uh, even really a good talking point. I just want to talk about how happy I am to have seen this. I don't know. Um, I don't know, Ben, if you if you've watched. Better Call Saul. I don't even I, know if it's available in the UK. We, we've we've discussed it before. I've, I've, I think we? I'm entirely up to date. Yeah. Okay. So they had. I re- couldn't really avoid it being a lawyer, could I? <laughs> How accurately is? Uh, I mean, this is of course describing <laughs> United States lawyers, but yeah. Although, well, I mean, you know, legal practice is legal practice. It has similarities the world over. Um, but have I think you, have uh, you not- have you noticed things? Then I should. I should say that that, that uh, do ring true. There are some there are some occasional sort of lawyer in jokes appear in it. Yeah, uh, um, I'm now struggling to bring one to mind because it's been a little while since it's been on, isn't it? But um, well, that's yeah, okay. There, there are there are gags in there that are intended for us. They they've released the first bit of advertising for the new season, which I know was an ad, a real ad, well, uh, a real fake ad for Los Pollos Hermanos, which is. <laughs> Uh, the Chicken Brothers, which is the restaurant in Breaking Bad that was run by Gustavo Fring, uh, in my opinion, one of the best villains in all of television, who had also one of the coolest deaths in all of television. That's exactly what I was about to say. He, you know, if nothing else, this guy had an awesome death. Uh, amazing. And uh, he appears at the end of the commercial uh, talking about, you know, uh, try our curly fries or something along those lines. Uh, which of, of course resulted in a lot of humorous jokes uh, in the comment section, like "Try our curly fries." If you don't like them, I'll kill your wife. I'll kill your son. I'll kill your infant daughter. Uh, <laughs> stuff like that. But uh, I do believe that this is a signifier that we will be seeing Gus Fring in the third season of Better Call Saul, which is something mm-hmm. I have been waiting for since this show happened. Uh, and uh, this. This makes me so happy. There's really nothing to really look into. This is like a one of those fake viral marketing ads, so there's really nothing to read into it other than he will be appearing. But I would just like to point out how happy I am that it exists. I've watched it like seven <laughs> times, and it's like the perfect crappy uh, fast food restu- lo- local mom-and-pop restaurant ad. 
uh, I've seen down right down to the music. It was it was. He he has confirmed lovely. actually. Uh, Giancarlo Esposito has confirmed that he is in season three. This is this is the best. It's a oh, good yeah. time. It's a good time to be a fan of of the uh, the Breaking Badiverse. Uh, let's move on though to a, to a real piece of news, something we can actually sink our teeth into a little bit. Um, back on the fifteenth of January, StarWars.com released a statement. Regard now, they said it's a statement regarding new rumors. Although I don't know, there weren't really rumors. It was more people. I think rumors tend to be like you know I've heard, but I think these were less rumors and more people just speculating about what Marvel slash Disney slash Lucasfilm slash whatever they are uh, was going to do about the untimely passing of Carrie Fisher, and uh, specifically, are were they going to? Uh, digitally recreate her for episode 9 because there was this discussion that she had a bigger role in episode 8 than she had in episode 7, which she has already filmed. Uh, She had already filmed all of her stuff for episode 8, as best I know. But she also Mm. had big stuff planned for episode 9, which can obviously now not happen. And StarWars.com has stated unequivocally that there will not be any digital Carrie Fisher uh in the film so how do you uh how do you feel about that is that like a i i it's it's you know it's really hard to say like how do you feel this could affect things because without seeing what she has done for episode eight yet it's hard to tell where they were planning on going for nine um are you curious to see how they're going to handle it though in the movie because they I, I recall you and I talking about how tastefully they handled the death of Leonard Nimoy in Star Trek Beyond. Mm. I don't know what they can do to that effect in the Star Wars movies, but obviously it'll be something they have to handle, right? They'll have to handle the this absence. Yeah, she, she needs to close out her story. Um, and I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm guessing someone has spoken to her before. She, she spoke quite a lot in the last 12, 12 months or so. Um, about her mortality, mm-hmm. uh, which I hadn't realized until I, you know, obviously after she died, there were quite a lot of quotes from various interviews where she talked about it. Yeah. Um, and I don't think I ever saw any comment directly from her about, you know, how uh, Leia would be dealt with in the event of that. But it seems it seems odd because they were they were pretty definitive, weren't they, about it? And they said, well, that's that's it. She's you know she's done um we're not going to digitally recreate her and i i'm not sure that i'm not sure that does her justice mm-hmm. but equally is it just a little bit too creepy to have someone who's died that recently digitally recreated in a film um i mean they did it with paul walker in one of those fast well movies, so. yeah i mean it's it's not without precedent um yeah. i mean half of uh the movie the crow <laughs> oh that's right that's right uh, is, Brandon yeah Lee. You know, yeah so um there are ways of you know her, her stuff that's driving the plot forward can be passed on to other characters that's not particularly difficult mm-hmm. but i do feel there ought to be some digital content that deals with her uh, demise in in that universe right. um as long as i mean as long as i think I'm, they're smart enough i think they'll be able to figure out how to tell their story with just don't let george lucas do it <laughs> No. Uh, and as long as they don't do the shit they did with Will Smith in Independence Day 2, where it's like, you know, go to the website to find out how his character died or something, and then you just see a picture of him in the White House. Uh, you know, yeah. so so long, yeah. as, so long as we don't get that, so long as we don't get this shot of, like, a body double 
General Leia, like, going onto a ship and then the ship gets blown up or something. Oh. Uh, as long as we don't get something like that, they gotta, they're going to have to think of something more than that. Um, it, it's got to be the CGI route rather than the recasting right. route, though. Um, it, is a li- think- it is a little odd. I think maybe they're doing it because it's a, because it's a so close thing, because I also saw um, some pieces where they were saying that she had, you know, given her nod of approval for the Rogue One Mm-hmm. Uh, digital recreation and she saw it and she loved it and she was happy with it and uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, that's, I think that is what I think is what opened up the, uh, uh, the speculation about, you know, could they just digitally mm-hmm. recreate uh, general Leia for what they need her to do in, in episode nine or whatever the, the case may be. Cause obviously there were these rumors, right? There was supposed to be, uh, I believe the talk was in episode eight. She has a big scene with Luke and in episode yeah. nine, she's supposed to have a big scene with her son in the story, um, Kylo Ren. So uh, what happened, you know, I mean, what big is, I don't know. Like if it's so big that it affects the story or if it's, mm-hmm. you know, just a big moment, but it doesn't necessarily affect the overall story. Yeah, you know, I can't, we can't answer any of those things. I, I, I would imagine that whatever the scene because uh, she'll have she'll have already shot the scene in relation to Luke. I would have thought. I think yeah, yeah. I think you're right. Saying that's already been done. So I guess what you could do. I mean, it's, uh, I don't know what that scene would be with Kylo Ren, but presumably it's um, the passing on of some important information. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there is precedent for Leia doing that through uh, third party media, such <laughs> as um, holograms, irritating droids. Yeah. Um, so you know. <sighs> There are ways of doing it. I think actually that may be the way to go, rather than the kind of slightly creepy CGI, um, you know, resurrection of her. Given that it is fairly recent, um, maybe a holographic representation of her, or even a kind of um, a force apparition version of her would be less ah, creepy because it would represent yes. the fact that you know it's either an echo of the past or a message, or it's a um, a. Uh, a, a Force ghost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They could totally <laughs> you know, force ghost young Carrie Fisher from Rogue One. Yeah, exactly. So there, there are ways of doing it that seem fairly obvious to me. Um, I don't think they should completely avoid it because I think that's possibly more disrespectful somehow. Yeah, it I was. It, it was her magnum opus. You know, there's no way around that. Yeah, and I think it's completely unavoidable what happened considering the stature of her character in the stories. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, so I don't think you can go the whole movie without mentioning it. Although, now that you've mentioned Force Ghost, I am a billion percent positive that I think we will see something along those lines. Yeah. Which which would be which would be nice, but it also does kind of go against their whole digital recreation thing. But maybe they're saying, as an actual character in the movie with lines and dialogue and stuff, that they won't be doing that. But Yeah, well, I, I think that's probably sensible. It would be... I think that's where it becomes distasteful to go down to go down that route. Yeah, uh, we'll see. Uh, okay, so Ben, moving on. How do yeah. you feel about the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers? Because there's uh, a new trailer out for this movie. Well, gee, there is, uh, and I I can't um, can't avoid how excited Glenn has been about that, uh, <laughs> and simultaneously can't explain um, just how little of a fuck I give about it. Now uh, you, you you were you were like a a tad and i'm not saying this jokingly you are in fact only a tad bit older than i am yeah. so did you did you miss out on the power rangers craze because i yeah completely <laughs> okay because i was like i was on like the tip 
end of it where like my little brother who's uh five years younger than i am yeah uh he, it was totally a thing he watched regularly and i i did watch it but it wasn't like a an obsession thing for me it wasn't like a thing yeah that I, I mean uh, full, full disclosure i probably oh, i don't know i may have watched in total all of about 12 minutes of it uh <laughs> spread across maybe bits of three episodes or something okay so you so you have like no feelings of this for this no i have i I have no nostalgia for this at all and based on what i've watched based on a lack of nostalgia Mm -hmm. uh i'm i'm not overwhelmed it looks it looks better than the tv show but i will yes hope so uh (laughs) but i mean you know kids kids with an iphone could make a better looking tv show but uh and and look i'm i'm not gonna lie i do have uh, what I would describe as like tinges of nostalgia for this show. Like I hear the music and I recognize it and it brings me back to being younger. Uh, you know, I see bits and pieces of some of the designs and some of the things and it does that, but it is not like this heartwarming thing that it's like, you know, swoon power Rangers, uh, you know, Oh, my I child, I don't was... get any of that from this. It, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, and maybe again, this might be. It was. It was because of the way it was produced and its whole feel. It had this sort of over the top, oh, yeah. um, wildly made for the sort of Japanese and U.S. markets mm-hmm. sort of look and feel about it. That I think it was almost alienating to um, to some other markets. Yeah. And I, I just want over here. It was. It was usually the subject of ridicule. Um, even amongst those who watched it, I don't know whether that's quite the same way it was held in uh, the US and perhaps some of the. Uh, I mean, probably depending depending on like the age range that you're in. Probably for kids young enough, this was you know gospel to them. They wanted to right. be Power Rangers, but um, yeah. So the the new trailer came out. Unlike the first trailer, which did not show you much of anything, this trailer shows you lots of everything. Uh, you yeah. get to see all of the Rangers suited up in their suits. You get to see a really ugly-looking CG Alpha 5, <laughs> which is voiced greatly by Bill Hader. I like Bill Hader, but uh, the robot looks ridiculous. You've got, Brian, you've got Brian Cranston as Zordon, which I like the design change there as well, instead of a ghost face and a tube of smoke or whatever the fuck Zordon was in the TV show. It's now one of these like digital screen tile things where his face takes the form of, you know, whatever, um, you know, all of that seemed, there is some great visual in the trailer. Um, there was some, there was some, there was some good visuals. Uh, this, this feels a lot like the Bayverse movies. This has like a transformers meets, uh, fan four stick meets, uh, Gosh, I don't know. But then, uh... but then maybe that's the thing is that because one of the biggest criticisms we've all had of Bay over the years are that he's been given franchises where there's more to them or should be more to them than explosions, and that's about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's kind of pissed us off. Uh, I don't know from from everything I've read and understood about Power Rangers franchise. Actually, it kind of you know it kind of was just about a sequence, you know, sequence after sequence of. Um, fight martial, explosion, fight explosion, fight explosion. And martial arts. Yeah. yeah. So maybe, maybe this is maybe this is Bay's jam. I mean, it's possible. Um, it's it's possible. This could be the medium that this style of movie. Uh, this could be the movie that that is made to fit in. I guess with that, yeah. with that mold. Um, you're right. 
Uh, and it's possible it's just not appealing enough to me. Um, We're going to get a whole load of emails and tweets now calling my, us old bastards. My, my hey, my six year old is really wants to see it. So uh, that's who. That's who. When she sees, I it, think she should. She should write the review for it. You should yeah. do a, like a, a pre record of her reviewing it of the of the Power Rangers film. Yeah, I think it's a good. Uh, I, I think she'd like it. Uh, I don't know. She's she'll swear much less than me and Aaron. Far, far less. <laughs> Uh, all right, so there's another trailer that came out as well. Second trailer for Logan, which uh, this one also shows uh, quite a bit more as well. And there's some, there's also some news that uh, that ties into this because I had written down uh, that based off of the trailer that I'm convinced that this new movie exists outside of the the current um, film continuity. Yeah, and there's uh, an interview now with uh, Hugh Jackman, where he actually bas- he basically confirms as much. Well, he said uh, a slightly different universe, I think, didn't he? Was yeah, that it? his his quote is not only is it different in terms of timeline and tone, it's slightly different. Uh, it's a slightly different universe. It actually has a different partogram. Uh, yeah, so he goes he talks about that as well, but. Uh, he says a lot of this boils down to this was his last movie, and he said they wanted him to make it, but he wanted to make he wanted to make his movie, and uh, so they wanted to do something different. And he said he was thinking Unforgiven and The Wrestler. So, yeah. uh, and those are very like if, if you've ever seen if you've ever seen The Wrestler, it's very I can actually see what he's talking about in terms of like how the movie looks and like shot and how the camera moves. It's very much doesn't feel quite as cinematic in that, in that regard. Um, Have you seen what the director said about, uh, about the tweets? No. Oh, sorry about the interview rather. So James Mangold um, was asked by uh, somebody on Twitter who um, went by the name of Vadermort. Yeah. Um, He's having a discussion with him uh, yeah, uh, about, you know, it, well, he, you know, Jackman said this is a different universe altogether. And Mangold says, um, I don't think that's exactly what he said. Simple fact, we take place in 2029, five years past anything depicted in an X-Men film. Uh, so he says, well, very true. It was in Digital Spy interview where he said this is a slightly different universe. Um, and he says, well, slightly different causes uproar, question mark. Uh, everyone should breathe and focus on important things. Um, I, I think they. The problem is with the whole X Men thing is that we've now had so many sort of slightly different spins on the universe and slight alternative views of timelines and stuff that I think it's a bit daft to get hung up on how much of a separate universe it is. You should yeah. just be happy we've got Hugh Jackman and Patrick Stewart in a fucking film together. Um, one last time doing this particular set of characters, in my view. Yeah. Uh, and the trailer, the the movie looks good. Yeah, it does. Uh, it's really interesting looking. Uh, it, it is, in fact, completely different from anything else. It's just weird. Uh, I mean, it's just weird for me a little bit because I'm I'm kind of a timeline junkie. I like my I like my franchises to be big and expansive, and everything ties into everything. I'm just one of those people. So it's weird that they're just like, you know what? this doesn't really relate to any of the other movies. It's like a standalone movie that exists in its own pocket universe, which for me is weird, but I can get past that. If the movie is good, 
and this looks like it's going to be really good. And uh, as Glenn and I have discussed uh, a couple of times, and if other people have already made this comparison or, or joked about it, this totally looks like the video game The Last of Us, but just with a guy <laughs> with adamantium claws. Uh, it does, yeah. It almost feels exactly... I mean, look, there's no like... There's no like spore zombies or something <laughs> like in mm. that game, but it has like the same look and the same feeling. Uh, and I, I'm just really kind of excited for this. It's so different from everything else. I think uh, that's the thing, isn't it? Is a, 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 a breath of fresh air. Yeah. I think Jackman's approach to the X-Men universe is, um, is basically that, yeah, well, I think he said in that same interview, I can't remember exactly what he said, but something about it being, um, when they made the first X-Men movie no one was really expecting there to be sequels so they basically just went out and made a kind of fun comic book movie uh, they weren't thinking about you know long term timelines and so on which is pretty fucking obvious if you follow <laughs> the X-Men films um, yes. and I think I think the thing about this is that in order to get him to come back and do one more of those movies you you had to entice him in I think by saying come on this you know this is going to be in the same mould as as the first ones this is going to be a fun comic book movie and that's what it looks like it's going to be i wouldn't take it too seriously and if you're the sort of person who does get bent out of shape by you know wibbly wobbly timey wimey then mm, perhaps walk away but you're not going to want to walk away from this film it's it's going to be it's going to be great fun oh let me see here what else do we got on the table uh let's talk about jim cameron for a second uh, the Terminator rights will revert to him in 2019. Hmm. And this is why Paramount was trying to get out the brand new trilogy, starting with the 2015 Genesis. Although hmm. there will be no, ter- there will be no more movies, I believe from that portion of the franchise. Uh, and the, the rights are going to be reverting back to him. And deadline has reported that Jim Cameron is going to take a new crack at the property with Deadpool director and visual effects expert Tim mm. Miller reportedly set to direct a new movie. So, Ben, <laughs> how do we feel about Terminator 22? Uh-oh. Whatever, whatever right now. I would love um, one or two things to happen. Uh, either, you know, uh, a sort of dark, gritty horror sci-fi uh the thing that made the original one great or a big um impressive something new about it sort of you know film like uh, judgment day i i got the joke in genesis and i enjoyed that i'm not sure how much i could sort of put up with any more of it um the thing is with it it's odd isn't it because it's a universe that isn't sort of massively overdone if if you sort of you know read a bit wider even some fan fiction expands that universe really well um but it's been a while since we've had any new ideas um the the chronicle series was uh, introduced some excellent ideas um Mm -hmm. and i tell you what you know it's never going to happen but i would love to see uh shirley manson uh, figure in the next one, even if it's just a sort of you know small subplot element or something like that. Her Terminator uh, yeah. from that series was superb. Mm-hmm. Uh, who'd have thought that Shirley Manson had that in her? But anyway, um, 
stupid girl. Yeah, I, I, I uh, thought she was garbage, Ben, so I don't yeah, know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I can't do any more. <laughs> nope, anyway. no more. Uh, although she's a Terminator, presumably she's not only happy when it rains because she might rust. Anyway, <laughs> the uh, send your garbage puns to at Cinema Giggly. Uh, yes. The yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd I'd like a great Terminator movie, of course. Who wouldn't? Um, it was you know genre defining, but I've got a feeling that's not what we're going to get served up. Uh, someone really needs to not just make sure Cameron's on board, but make sure that there is some very thorough vetting of any potential storylines and script i mean it really does need to be a thing and it needs to not have arnie in it i'm afraid yeah i mean i feel weird about this too because i really like tim miller deadpool was great Mm -hmm. um and you'd think jim cameron back at the helm probably in a producer like a producer role executive producer role for a terminator movie that seems like it would be a winning combination. Well, you say that, but there's the problem. If it's exec producer as opposed to producer, we're already stepping into dangerous territory. We've already had yes. the comedy version of this film. We've just had it. They are talking about reboot, and I'm wondering if this is like going to be a hard reboot. Like Terminator Genesis was supposed to be a soft reboot, where yeah. it it reboots the universe, but it introduces some of these old familiar elements. I'm I'm, maybe if they go hard reboot and they're just like forget everything we're starting from scratch all over again and maybe tell the story a little differently then we're just in spider-man territory aren't we how many or or, you know the batman batman pearl necklace syndrome um i i'm not sure how many reboots that stand i think if i were jim cameron i would just do a hard reboot from post terminator 2 on Pretend that the first yeah, two happened. Yeah, yeah. Acknowledge yeah. the first two, and then forget everything else happened, mm-hmm. and then go where you would have gone. Now, I now people are going to point out, and maybe they're right. Maybe Jim Cameron is just he's he's lost it and doesn't have it anymore. People will point out that Jim Cameron did endorse Terminator Genesis, yeah. and he did say that he considered this the true sequel to Terminator Two. Yeah, uh, but it was blind to the humor in it. I mean, you can right. have a humorous sequel, but the problem is you can't make that all it's about it's like if the you know okay then we'll have another deadpool movie that's going to be a humorous sequel to the humorous original but then there's only so long um there's only so long you can flog a particular horse isn't there yeah um and i i just worry terminator didn't start with humor they were they were humorous quotable lines but it started as this you know the kind of dark horror sci-fi um and I, I, we've kind of we've experimented with the with the genre now and the, and the franchise over a period of time. I just think if we're going to see something new come of it, it needs to probably revert back to what it was in the first place. Yeah, we've we've had the the humor, and I'm not surprised Cameron says that was the real sequel because you'd kind of want to write off the ones that had been between two and that, wouldn't you? Um, I uh, no, I just I. I love the original two so, so much that I just don't want to see this get fucked up anymore. <laughs> just leave well enough alone. Yeah. It's not easy, though, when you've got cash cows. Okay, well, let's talk about let's talk about a proverbial cash cow that that hasn't bled itself dry of, of quality, depending on who you talk to. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the overall consensus is that the quality of, of said franchise has been good so far. Let's delve into... Is it Ghostbusters? It is not. <laughs> no. We're, we're talking about 
the Harry Potter universe, which, uh, yes. um, there, and look, there are some detractors for Fantastic Beasts and where to find them, but by and large, I, f- I think most people really enjoyed the movie and felt it fits in just fine with the universe. Um, and it's, it's the story that, um, about this J.K. Rowling tweet where she had, so the, the story is that J.K. Rowling confirms that there will not be a Harry Potter and the Cursed Child movie, which was the, the headline, which I don't think is exactly precisely what she was saying. Um, Fake news. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so the tweet, the J.K. Rowling tweet, which was made uh, on Inauguration Day, by the way, here in America, January 20th, at 2.31 p.m. So this was a post-President Trump tweet. Because um, the world needed something to cheer it the fuck up. Yeah. This was, she tweeted an image from goodhousekeeping.com of all places, which Excellent. obviously world renowned for their film and television reporting. Um, it's an article that says amazing new details about Harry Potter and the Cursed Child have leaked. The movie will apparently star original cast members Daniel Radcliffe, Emma Watson, and Rupert Grint. And J.K. Rowling simply tweets, with periods in between each word, this is not true. Hmm. Um, which people then said, oh my God, J.K. Rowling confirms there will be no Cursed Child film. <laughs> so the first, the fir- first things first here, everybody. There's going to be three Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them films. They've already done one. They will be doing a second and a third. Um, they will be doing this before they even entertain the idea of starting on a Harry Potter and the Cursed Child film. Just because she says this is not true, I think she is referring to the article that is saying that... It'll have the original cast. It'll have the original cast. They're treating it like the movie is already a thing. Yeah. Like uh, the details about the movie have leaked and it will reportedly star. Now, I have heard the rumors as well that Warner Brothers... uh, there There are two sets of rumors. Rumor number one was Warner Brothers would want... Daniel Radcliffe, Emma Watson, and Rupert Grint to reprise their roles in this film. Um, kind of like... So let, fourth... let's translate that. So Warner Brothers, not batshit crazy, right? Yeah, yes. They would want them to appear in, in kind of like what would be a Harry Potter, The Force Awakens type thing, where you bring back the original cast, but older, to play their their older selves and to tell the story about this newer generation of kids, which is what the Cursed Child play is about. Um... I've heard that set of rumors, which is uh, being conflated with the other set of rumors, which is Warner Brothers has already talked to these people about reprising their roles. Now, I am but, but more... But of course they will have done. I mean... Quite possibly. Yeah. But I don't think, but I don't think in any official way. No, of course not. I like, mean... they maybe have sent out feelers or something, but sometimes people will take this to be, they're in contract negotiations, they're making the film, the film is happening. I, I promise you, if there is money to be made from a Harry Potter and the Cursed Child film, we will see that movie. And yeah. we may see three of those movies. I did, uh, it's probably on... the top grossing franchise overall now of all, I think, isn't it? I mean, quite possibly. And it's largely because they've had so many movies and they've been able to come out yeah. within a fairly short amount of time. One None of them's made anything um, short of an absolute killing. Yeah. Um, Critically and... well received as well. All yeah, pretty much, yeah. Um, <laughs> the idea that there might not be 
uh, a further film after the three they've got planned yeah is is just inconceivable yeah if um, you think warner if you think warner brothers is sitting there going we will have a chance to do another harry potter movie and bring back the original actors to reply to reprise themselves now we're not going to do that of course they're going to do that everybody yeah it's a matter I, of time that's all i think jk rowling is saying what isn't true is that particular story treating it like it's a thing right now because it isn't a thing right now. It's not going to be a thing. I don't think for, for a few years because they're still doing these other movies, which she is heavily involved in. She's, you know, the, the, uh, the screenwriter, she's, you know, wrote, she's writing these new movies. So by God, she's savvy, isn't she? Yeah. She's, she's, played an absolute blinder with the way she's kept her hand in with the franchise she really has yeah uh bunch of credit to her she's a she's in fact a smart one uh so yeah i i think it's just (laughs) i think it's just absolutely ridiculous to think that it's you know to to look at that and be like oh she confirms they're not going to make a movie out of it Yeah, yeah, yeah if they can make money from doing a movie out of it they will absolutely do a movie can I can I now take a slight slight tangent off that? Um, By all means. One of my favorite horror actresses uh, has recently been in a BBC, you know, yet another reboot of The Worst Witch. So The Worst Witch, for those who aren't familiar, a series of books by Jill Murphy, which vastly predate Harry Potter um, and are considered by many, alongside Star Wars, to be the rather direct inspiration i think we can say that legally uh behind the harry potter universe uh because it was a um a series of books about a um otherwise i suppose we might call her a muggle as far as she knew um a young witch who goes off to an academy and learns how to be a real witch and you get the gist um and she defeats the evil um uh, well, the evil sort of big bad who is lurking behind it all. You get the gist. So, um, Claire Higgins uh, has been cast as Miss Cackle in the BBC uh, or CBBC production of The Worst Witch. And although, I mean, you know, this is aimed at kids, it's CBBC, I will say this, I watched a couple of episodes just because I love Claire Higgins. And you know what? They have done a cracking job because rather than shying away from, you know, oh crikey, this is all a little bit Harry Potter, because Kids watching it now presumably know Potter far better than they know Jill Murphy's books. Um, they've kind of embraced it a little bit, perhaps a little bit cheekily in places as well. Um, but rewatch it, and if you thought casting your mind back to um, you know the Tim Curry Diana Rigg version of the Worst Witch, which I think is probably the TV version most people know, um, if you go back to that. Uh, you, they really didn't have enough of the the sort of they didn't spell it out the same way. Now at Hardbroom, there is no mistake where Professor Snape came from. <laughs> um, Hegarty Hardbroom in the new version is just one hundred percent female Snape. Um, I, I'd just like to say, for, just as I say, for Claire Higgins playing Miss Cackle and obviously her twin sister, uh, and just for the the joy of it, go and give. Um, the Worst Witch uh, a rewatch. If you're in the UK, you can watch it on iPlayer. If you're elsewhere, uh, I dare say you can find it on other services. And if you're possessed of a VPN service, then, well, you know, there are ways of doing things that I don't approve of. 
So here's something uh, interesting that I just saw. I was about to move on to Star Trek, but let's mm-hmm. talk about Suicide Squad director David Ayer for a second. Uh, because he received a tweet from at Penn's fanboy on Twitter that said, so thankful for Suicide Squad at David Ayer movies. Exactly the way it is. It's a masterpiece. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Which Proving is, of course, that crystal meth is very popular in certain parts. <laughs> which is, which is, of course, Penn's fanboy, uh, his opinion, or his or her opinion. Uh, well, it says fanboy, right? I'm going to guess boy. Uh, which is, of course, his opinion, and he's entitled to it, although I disagree with it. Uh, but anyway, that's not important. What's important is the interesting response that it drew from David Ayer, who actually <laughs> wrote him back, uh, did one of these things where you type up a response, because 140 characters is not enough, mm-hmm. and basically did three paragraphs of response. He writes, Thank you so much. I know it's a controversial film. I really tried to make something different with a look and voice of its own. Uh, there's a paragraph where he talks about um, uh, where he talks about his inspiration for the movie and stuff. And he says, I know Squad has its flaws. Hell, the world knows it. Uh, he has, uh, But then the last two paragraphs are the really interesting ones, and I'd like to get your opinion on his thoughts here as well. He says, The movie was wildly successful commercially, and the world got introduced to some very cool characters in the DC Universe. Uh, would I uh, do a lot of things different? Yep, for sure. Wish I had a time machine. I'd make the Joker the main villain and engineer a more grounded story. I have to take the good and the bad and learn from it. I love making movies. I love DC. Uh, I'm a high school dropout, and I used to paint houses for a living, so I'm lucky to have the job I have. I have to give the characters and stories the plots they deserve next time. Real talk. And no, there isn't a secret edit of the film with a bunch of Joker scenes hidden in a salt mine somewhere. That's uh, interesting. That's that's him okay. taking ownership for what he produced rather than what most people suspect. I have to say, including myself, was yeah, a bit of so a, he, you know, a job from the studio. That's interesting. So, so, yeah, he thanked the fan for enjoying the movie the way it is. And I'm sure he likes it as well, but it's obvious he sees the flaws in the movie and as you noted not only does he see them but he's like i own the flaws and i would do things differently and i think a lot of this owns up to the uh which we talked about how the studio very much meddled with the movie and there was these varying cuts and uh at, at some point became a a you know a film by committee or whatever and uh i just i just think that's a really think what you will about the film and and we have obviously um but boy is that a refreshing take to hear a director just be like you know thank you so much but i have issues with this movie mm. i would do things differently here's what i would do differently uh it's like you know don't don't forget though that i'm super thankful i try to do the best i could do uh you know i'm so happy i even have this job that sort of thing but uh, yeah, that line where he says, I have to give the characters the stories and plots they deserve next time, real talk, was pretty crazy. Because that's basically saying I didn't really, I introduced a lot of these cool characters, mm. but I didn't, I didn't really do them justice. Which is the main mind. criticism people have of the movie, really, when you boil yes. it down. It's interesting as well. I mean, I, he doesn't say it there, but I get the, there's a slight undertone maybe, um, there 
that suggests that he's slightly blaming the studio in the sense that he needs to perhaps stand up to them a little bit was the sort of vague reading I got from that. But that is refreshing, though. Um, He'll he'll win a lot of people back on side with that. We have also learned that the secret edit of the film featuring the Joker Uh. is not hidden in uh, a salt mine somewhere. So that means clearly it must be hidden in a Nazi cave. Yeah, yeah. Um, along with a load is, of other reels of film, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> along with the good version of Batman v Superman. That does not exist. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, I think we have uh, some Star Trek to talk about a little bit. Oh, do we have to? I hate that show. Oh, sorry. <laughs> well, well, first things first. Um... There is, uh, I, I don't know if you followed at all the lawsuit between mm-hmm. Paramount and the Axanar fan film. Yeah, I think we've discussed it on the. We have on the, the Star Trek show. Yeah, they have settled. They have their case. Apparently, Axanar will not have to pay any money. Although I'm guessing they're broke, they are still going to make their film, but with, uh, but with changes. And they will be fitting to the new Star Trek fan film guidelines. So, yeah. I don't actually have a problem with this. Okay. Um, for this reason, me either, actually. But go ahead. Well, uh, I don't, well, what's your, what's your take on it? I know what I think about it. Um, I mean, I know why they're going after them. Uh. So they're talking about copyright infringement and using their intellectual property, which they are, by the way, but uh, Star Trek has famously let fans do this for a long time. There's uh, There was James Cowley's Star Trek Phase 2. There's Vic Mignona's Star Trek Continues, uh, which aren't just using Star Trek things. They're using Captain James T. Kirk, uh, Dr. Leonard McCoy, Spock. Some they're of them are even straight, using the actors. Some of them have used the actors. Yeah. I think uh, I think at the heart of this, this comes down to Axanar made a lot of money. Yeah, uh, like a ton. They made over a million dollars for this project, and I think for Paramount that started seeping into not longer, no longer a fan film. Mm. And then there was the talk that they were going to start making their own studio from which they would start lending out equipment and stages mm. to other people that wanted to make fan films. And then they started saying, "Well, wait a minute! Now it's start, now it's starting to sound like you're making a buck off." They've of our become China, profit. basically. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So uh, Paramount was right to sue them uh, and right to go after them. I think. And uh, the only thing I don't agree with, the only thing I didn't agree with, was the fan film guidelines, which I mm-hmm. thought were a little too overreaching, especially considering. Um, to to me the to me the the most egregious parts were uh the time the time restrictions on the fan films and the restrictions that were like um you can't make a series yeah of shows you can make like a you can make an hour long thing but it has to be two parts in thirty minutes and it can't be a series. And that's the thing that gets to me because Star Trek is not known as a movie f- franchise. I mean, no. it's you know lately that's what they've been producing, but by and large, it has been a it has been a show with many episodes. 
And all of the Star Trek fan films that I recall seeing throughout my time, and yes, there were definitely some that were just one-offs or spoofs or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, but a lot of them were series with seasons and episodes, and obviously the quality of those things varied tremendously from very terrible to slightly terrible to kind of good. Some of them even ventured into very good. Mm-hmm. Um, that's happened. Um, so... Yeah, so there has been there has been that. But yeah, so for me when they when they're doing that, to me they're kind of cutting out cutting the legs off of the the stuff that was really good about the fan films. And I and I don't feel like these series of fan films like uh Star Trek Continues which has done episodes. Mm. Uh I don't feel like that hurts Star Trek. Well, it doesn't. All. I think it only I think it only helps. Yeah. And I don't feel like they're making money off of it. Even in, and one of their things is you can't have professional actors in it or professional crew, but you know, to me just because you're a professional doesn't mean you're not a fan. I think professionals can still make fan projects as long as they're not being, you know, being paid for it or making money off of it and obviously some people like in Axanar, they were bringing in professional talent and paying them for the talent to reprise characters from Star Trek. And I can understand that they don't want to do that anymore. That, so some of that stuff makes sense. Some of it doesn't. But in the at the end, I feel like they were totally right to go after these guys. Um, unfortunately, it feels like, though, it's kind of been like a, a, like a, a backbreaker for those in the fan film community. Anyway, that's what I think. Anyway, yeah. uh, what's your I... take? Well, I think that's about right. I mean, the it it it's always difficult when you when you start um, when you start producing any sort of fan content or producing any type of content that relates to something that's protected by IPRs. That there's always a line, um, you know. And as podcast creators, uh, you, you and I both know sometimes where that line is, and it's uh, occasionally tricky not to tip across it, but. Um, that studio didn't just sort of <laughs> approach the line. They ran over it with great glee um, and great success. But what the, um, I think with all fan content, what the uh, rights holders need to remember is that where you have a franchise like Star Trek, where there's big gaps in um, in its bread and butter, which is still, you know, serialized TV content, um if you have these big gaps, someone is going to fill them. And instead of fighting it, it's probably best to look at it and say, well, do you know what? It's keeping that part of the Star Trek fan base entertained. It's keeping Star Trek from becoming something which people become nostalgic about um, and, and keeping it current. Uh, And, you know, nothing delights fanboys, especially, you know, geeky fanboys more than seeing, you know Walter Koenig or Tim Russ or whoever popping up in something like this because it's sure. it feels both you know validating and also somehow kind of naughty that they're in it as well There's, there is something gleeful about that too so it's right that it's settled it's right that they went after them because someone needed to draw the line here um, but I agree with you on the guidelines I think they're they're just a little bit too restrictive. Um, yeah, they went I'd, they went a little too far. Yeah, but equally, you know, you can't, you know, you don't sue the man of straw, do you? And that that studio may have made some money, but 
you know the 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 length of time this has gone on that's largely depleted i would imagine um if i were perhaps that studio i might have held out a little bit longer and said well you know do your worst we're we're nearly toast anyway um <laughs> let's let's negotiate a little further on these guidelines uh because that might have been a better option i mean you've got to be careful as well when you when you own a franchise like that to um to not destroy it through being oppressive uh because <laughs> the people who are fans of that franchise do not i think as a general rule appreciate that type of conduct by right. you know by the big studios and stuff so uh but you know hey it's 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 done and that's something uh more good news about star trek though mm-hmm. uh real good news ben star trek gets, uh star trek discovery begins shooting in two days in toronto yeah on the 24th of January, as we record this, Star Trek Discovery to begin shooting its first season. Even more good news, they have cast British actor James Frain to play Sarek, Spock's father, on the show. I'm guessing in what would be a, not as a series regular, but as, like, not as, like, a main cast, but as a... um you know, as a character that appears throughout the show, but isn't a part of the main cast, I would, I would presume, um, he might be familiar to, uh, fans of British television. He was on orphan black, uh, in the United States. He played Theo Gallivan on Gotham. Yeah. Uh, for the better part of, uh, a season and a half or so. He was in the Tudors, Um, Tron legacy, um, agent Carter, true detective. Yeah. Um, he's been all over the place. This guy. Yeah. Uh, who was he in Tron Legacy? Uh, I'll I tell you, hold on. Yeah. Jarvis, it says here. I don't yeah, know that's that what I've is. got. No, I'm not sure either. Uh, but he's. Well, I, I, it's been it's been ages since I've ages since I've watched Tron Legacy. It's been like, uh, what is it, 2017 now? So it's probably been like four years since I've last seen uh, Tron Legacy. I think maybe longer. So he played Cromwell in uh, in the Tudors, in case. Uh, anyone remembers that but. he played uh, jf villafort in the count of monte cristo with uh <laughs> uh which is a favorite of jennifer's by the way she loves that version of the count of monte cristo so um so yeah, just say, i've n- just discovered an alan rickman film that somehow i've never seen before oh okay go ahead as a result of looking that up um how have i not seen this movie Okay, so uh, everyone's going to listen to this and go, how have you not seen that movie, I guess? Uh, Rasputin, Dark Servant of Destiny, um, 1996, featuring Alan Rickman as Rasputin, Ian McKellen as Emperor Nicholas II. That's amazing. Um, have you seen this film? No, I haven't, but I mean, the casting, you're mentioning the... I'm going to watch like, the fuck out of this later. Rickman as Rasputin is... What? Okay. It's fine. Greta Sashi... Um, sure, sure. David Warner, John Wood, James Frain. That's, a, that's an amazing cast. I am, David Warner's great. I'm going to watch this. He plays Dr. Botkin. Hmm. Oh, I'm totally... Uh, Sorry. Well, it, it, <laughs> it, just seems, it just seems like, Ben, that the Star Trek Discovery news, it just keeps flowing. It's like there couldn't possibly be any bad news about, oh, wait a minute, the oh. May 2017 premiere date is now off the table. Yeah. Uh, the production of Star Trek Discovery begins next week. We love the cast. The scripts are exciting. 
Uh, we're excited about the world that the producers have created. This is an ambitious project. We will be flexible on a launch date mm. if it's best for the show. We've said from the beginning it's more important to do this right than to do it fast. There is also added flexibility presenting on CBS All Access, which is not beholden to seasonal premieres and launch windows. True on all accounts, but yep. boy, this is the third time the show's been pushed back. It gets to the point where it's sort of, okay, it's important to do this right. Um, I'm but, sorry if this is going to make me sound like a liberal snowflake beta male, but I want my fucking Star Trek, CBS. <laughs> Give it to me now. <laughs> this is delayed gratification. Um, let's just look yes. at it that way. <laughs> uh, uh, so b- before we before we go, because we do have to wrap things up here, but uh, before we do that, I would just like to point out that instead of watching the presidential inauguration, as I mentioned to you on mm. on uh, Facebook, I was instead watching The Crown on Netflix, which, yeah. again, as I pointed out, I'm not sure if that is ironic or not. <laughs> um, I'm not sure if that speaks actually to a deeper desire for me to just live in England as opposed to the United States. Well, you, you, um, you have your various um, presidential dynasties, don't you? So do, you kind of got you, it. Now, I presume this is a Netflix original show, and I presume that it is yeah. also on UK Netflix. Yeah. Uh, have you watched it? Have you heard people talk um, about it? I'm curious to know what other people think, because it did win. It has won awards here. It won the Best Television Drama Golden mm-hmm. Globe in the United States. Uh, I think I'm maybe two or three episodes into it. Uh, I've been kind of mm-hmm. distracted. I've been jumping between that and uh, Lemony Snicket and mm-hmm. obviously Sherlock was on as well. So I've, I've kind of been a bit pressed for time uh, TV-wise, but I watched a few episodes. I, I, I mostly like what I've seen, I think. Okay. I've got, I've got a... I, I would just like to point out that we're Jen and I are two episodes shy of finishing the first season. Uh, <laughs> I'm pretty enthralled by the show. Um, it, it did take a few episodes for it to, to kind of pick up, but there are some just fantastic episodes in there. Mm. And, um, I, I just find it fascinating because I do not know much about, um, the, I mean, like I know as much as I, I think probably most Americans with a passing interest with, uh, the British monarchy knows about it. Like I know kind of the basics, but I don't know all that much. And especially about that particular time period, um, Mm -hmm. what was happening. So it's, it's, to me, it's fascinating in a lot of ways, seeing, um, some of these characters kind of, um, morph from, uh, like how, uh, the queen herself sort of seemed like a person, but then when she became the queen sort of had to stop being a human, which is really weird in some ways, but while also trying to maintain this, this family life. And it's, it's very weird. Like there's still like family drama, but you don't think about that stuff going on. Mm. Like, I don't think about family drama in the Obama white house, but I'm sure it was there. There were sisters, sisters fight the, they argue with their parents, like stuff like this happens. Mm. And I just don't, you don't think about it in that way, but it's just, and the the dynamics of the characters I thought were really well fleshed out because they weren't uh, they I don't think having watched most of it the queen it certainly was not a glowing portrayal of everybody in every possible way they've certainly showed these people as flawed or oh, sometimes yeah. they they're clearly making bad decisions or sometimes you you're rooting for them but you know uh, but then they'll be a person from their time and place. Uh, you know, uh, and how they think about women or, 
the general attitudes towards other things, stuff that wouldn't be expressed today. So, are you talking like, about Philip? Because he is just an asshole. Philip does, and Matt Smith, by the way, is is great. He is, isn't he? As, as <laughs> Philip, he's he's tremendous. And and this may just be me, but I have seen flourishes of his doctor. Oh yeah, I mean, it's it's throughout the performance a little, isn't it? Yeah. There Although is a scene John Lithgow, I have to say, I mean, oh he goodness. struggles with the accent occasionally, but a bit. Um, he's rather he's good, isn't Win- he? He's playing Winston Churchill. Yeah. Uh, and I, mean, I love John Lithgow in everything he's ever done. I think pretty yeah. much. But yeah, yeah. So he he does struggle with the accent a few times, uh, but you kind of forgive it because he is just so good and believable in the role. Like you sort of stop seeing John Lithgow at yeah. times and you do kind of really see Winston Churchill. It's really weird. Uh, I think, yeah, I think he's tremendous. They had uh, Jared Harris who was playing yeah. King George, Elizabeth's mother, uh, which it's a shame they couldn't get Colin Firth to reprise his role, but uh, you know, whatever. Uh, well, but then they'd have had to get Helena Bonham Carter as well. Indeed <laughs> <laughs> to play, to play his wife. Uh, I just, yeah, I'm, I'm just way into it. I I, I just think it's uh, it's it's an excellent show. Uh, I have no idea if anybody in the royal family is watching it, but I would imagine maybe secretly some of them are. Um, oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I just I just find it uh, I just find it kind of fascinating, and it's just a really interesting it's a really interesting story, uh, and I'm I'm curious to see to see more of it but yeah it is uh, an excellent show that i cannot more highly recommend to people especially if it is something uh that you're kind of uh kind of interested in i i didn't think it would be something i'd be particularly into uh but uh you know start giving it a shot and it's that it's so watchable is something of a testament to how well written yes i think yeah it's very watchable Mm -hmm. um yeah so i started watching i started watching dark matter as mm-hmm. well. I don't know if you have this on UK Netflix either. Uh, uh, I think I've seen it, it a, somewhere, yeah. Yeah, it is a sci-fi show, which I thought at first, because I'd not heard of this, meant it must have been a sci-fi channel exclusive in the United States, which means it's probably also not particularly good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but then again, I'm like, well, maybe I'll give it a shot because they did, you know, they did the remake Battlestar Galactica, which I like a lot. Um, and it turns out this is actually a Canadian show. Uh, that is made exclusively in the Canada. So I think that's how it's pronounced across across the ocean. The that's Can- right, eh? Can- Can- Canada? Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, that show is also pretty good. It's about um, six people who wake up out of, uh, out of stasis pods on a ship with no memory of who they are or why they are there. Uh, and they repair uh, an android that is on the ship that helps them recover data uh, that was partially destroyed on the ship's computers that reveal that they are all criminals and not just criminals, but very, very, very bad criminals like murderers and, and thieves and stuff. Uh, but none of them have any recollection of that past lives and uh, that past life. And in fact, they're all kind of like decent human beings until they realize who they really are. And they're kind of like on this quest to find out what happened to them. Um, and you know, why, why this was, uh, why this was done or who did it to them. And, uh, they keep running into people who have vendettas against them and things like that. Or they, they run into situations. Uh, I believe the first thing they ran into is a planet where they were actually supposed, they found out later, they were actually supposed to kill people on the planet hmm. when instead their first instinct was to help them. And they in fact did. 
And it was only later that they found out that they were on their way to this planet because they were supposed to kill people there. So if you uh, miss Stargate like Universe, uh, watch this show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's what uh, that's what Tony's watching on Netflix this week, everybody. What did uh, you? But yeah, I, I don't know. Did you cover um, Sherlock last week on the show? I didn't catch last mm, week. No, we did not. Well, because we did the end of the year episode, we did not do. The, I tell you uh, what, let's, the let's Sherlock do it on, on, on another episode, I guess. But it's um, oh, that's it's divided people. That show has. It has. Um, I'm a fan. I'm a fanboy of it. I I like the episode. I think Moffat's just gone too bloody far. I really do. <laughs> I don't. Uh, I mean, I look. Uh, even I can recognize this. It was not their best effort. The thing uh, is, I don't what, think what was, he showed. I don't us, think it was their worst. But. What he showed us was a, a sort of, you know, um, made for TV uh, torture porn type, uh, or maybe sort of thriller ish type show. Which is great, but it had fuck all to do with um, Sherlock Holmes. It doesn't matter how many sort of you know, Easter egg references you put into other things to do with Sherlock Holmes. It, it, that maketh not the Sherlock Holmes uh, episode. It all, I, I mean, you know, it was held together pretty well by, by the cast, as you would expect. Mm-hmm. But, um, and in fact, actually, some of the performances were excellent. But it's just, oh, Moffat, just occasionally, mate, just, just keep it simple. Lots of uh, lots of breaking of Margaret Thatcher busts, though. So that's oh well, now that that we can all get behind. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's. I mean, that's who doesn't love to just grab one and smash it. Yeah, I mean, so. yeah, there were six, but I I could have seen more. Uh, that would have been fun. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, they could have done a hundred or so, I think, and they really wouldn't have approached the "you've done too much" mm-hmm. threshold. So, uh, more of that, please. Yep. More and and more and more Sherlockiness, because you're right, there wasn't. There wasn't a whole lot. Well, the next, um, they talk about another one that's going to be, I, I don't know how they, true this is, but they're, they're talking about they, the next one being um, set in a different time and, a, again, a slightly different version of the Sherlock Holmes universe and everything. Do you know what? Stop fucking about, Stephen. Are, are they going to finally do the episode where he runs into Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock? Do you know, is that what they're going to do? You know, why not at this stage? They run into Robert Downey Jr. and Jude Law? Yeah, we could totally do that. Could That'd be do. fun. Let's do it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I just wish it's it's the same with Doctor Who though. It's you know they tried to loosely tie they tried to loose they they tried to loosely tie it to Sherlock convinced that this was a Moriarty plot. Yeah, when in fact it wasn't. Yeah, that was the, that was the big twist at the end is that Moriarty had nothing to do with any of this. Which you know Sherlock was just obsessed or convinced that it was. But it was just, that was. It, it, meh. I, it was I just frustrating. I, I, I just want Moffat to start writing. Do you know what? I think the thing is this: um, that there are throughout musical history, no end of artists whose first record has been, um, you know, wildly complex. Whether it's you know really complicated guitar parts or uh, you know really complicated composition, and then they've gone on to produce better content effectively afterwards because everyone knows they can do the complicated stuff. Moffat yes. needs to learn that method. We okay, Stephen. We know you're very, very clever, and you can. Oh, and, and when you and Game and get together, it's you know, crikey, it's brain melting stuff. But as as Bite, just tell a story. Let's let's do a bit of that. Yep. Why not? Hey, why not? That some. Let's do something different. Yeah, just you know, yeah, clever. <laughs> no, clever bloke. Yeah, absolutely. Just 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 tell us a story. <laughs> anyway. Well, he did. He did, Ben. He told us a story about superheroes on Christmas. Do you remember? Uh, don't bring that back. <laughs> if you, if, yeah, listener, if you 
want to hear me completely lose the will to fucking live listen to uh who made who podcast from uh the christmas episode as yeah. i just sink into a thorough depression only uh only improved by uh, a clip of sylvester mccoy yes greatly improved yeah uh all right so <laughs> that's the show for this week uh head on over to cinemageekly.com uh like i said to check out past episodes and of course we're on itunes and google play music just for cinema geekly and hit subscribe and of course you can do that for all of the shows like who made who like ben said if you want to do that just search for who made who and hit subscribe there and uh and you can listen to all of the shows as they are released and there's going to be more who made who it's just not going to be for a few more months but uh flashing arrow that is returning this week i know glenn is super excited now that apparently his internet is working uh he told me that there was construction going he says here they are doing construction down the street and probably turned the lines off it sounds like the start Uh, of a really bad horror movie setup i'm gonna i'm gonna contact him in a bit and just make sure he's still okay (laughs) just to be sure yeah yeah i mean there have been a few chainsaw massacres in the part of the country that glenn lives in so uh it's known for it yeah it is known they do have movies uh all right so uh for ben knight i'm anthony lewis we'll be back next time with another cinema geekly podcast 